I would invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thirst is a human sensation that I would venture a guess all of us here are probably familiar with. Surely we have experienced the feeling of being woken up in the middle of the night by the dryness in our mouths, so dry that our lips and tongues probably feel like they're about ready to crack off, and we have to force ourselves out of the comfort and warmth of our own beds to go in search of water. I don't know about you, but one of the things that tends to make me smile the most is the sight of a group of children on a hot summer day who have taken a break from their playing to gather around a hose and to fight for the very next sip and drop of water. Thirst is a physical, bodily thing. It's something that can be quenched easily enough, at least for those of us who have regular access to clean drinking water. But somehow, thirst is also a sensation that moves beyond the physical in some way, as we heard about in our children's sermon for this morning. There are other things that we, as human beings, thirst after that may at times feel even more pressing to us than our bodily needs. The thirst for justice, for success, love, friendship, community, hope. These thirsts, they may be more symbolic, more metaphorical in nature, less tangible than the physical kind, but we spend our lives trying to satiate them all the same. For most of us, I tend to think that all of these thirsts, they really boil down to two main ones for most human beings, the thirst or search for meaning and belonging. It's why many of us are religious or spiritual. It's why others of us join yoga classes or fitness clubs. Some of us participate in service projects or create art. These activities, they may quench some very physical need that we have, but more than anything, they connect us to values that infuse our lives with meaning and communities that give us a place to belong. On Friday night, As I've already shared with you, I attended the Interfaith Food Pantry Gala, and there was a woman there who had been serviced by the pantry in recent years, and she gave a testimony about what the pantry meant for her. This woman, over the course of a few years, had fallen on hard times. She got sick. She wound up in a coma. She endured multiple months of very difficult recovery. She lost her husband in the middle of all of it. She accrued nearly a million dollars in medical bills that she couldn't get any help with, all before finding her way to the pantry. And when she spoke about how she got to the pantry, she said that she knew that she needed food, but the pantry ended up meeting other needs for her that she didn't even know she had or that she needed. When she was giving her testimony, she said, you know, when you go through things like what I've been through, it's easy to lose your sense of worth. It's one thing to get assistance when you need it, but it's another thing to find a place where you are valued just because of who you are as a human being. And that's really why I've stayed at the pantry and why I now volunteer my time for others. 
The thirst for meaning and belonging is powerful. And it's something that Jesus, and especially the writers of John's gospel, seem to understand very well. When the gospel of John records Jesus as saying, I am thirsty, it's certainly possible that it was recorded to partially communicate that Jesus had physical and bodily needs like anyone else. But it also probably meant to convey something more. The Gospel of John is the most symbolic and therefore theological of all the Gospels in the New Testament. It's supposed to be read as less historical or maybe even literal and a little more spiritual. You have to read between the lines a little bit with John because the Gospel is ripe with imagery and metaphor and interesting language and symbols, the very things that we often gravitate toward as we search for meaning in our lives. This Gospel was written as a word of encouragement to a community that had been following in the way of Jesus and was being ostracized for it by their wider religious community and their Jewish siblings. There was a lot of struggle and conflict within the Jewish community over exactly what it meant to be faithful in their context. They struggled to agree on what the criteria was for finding meaning and belonging in their world and community of faith. The primary hub of Jewish life, the temple in Jerusalem, had been destroyed, and so there was a lot of debate over what Jewish identity even was anymore. Who had the right to power? Who had the correct theological understanding? They were together in community asking deep questions like, who are the right kinds of Jewish people and the rightful heirs to this rich theological history? What does it mean to belong to this community? What beliefs and practices are most important to us? Who are the religious leaders that we need to be following after? In most cases, the people in these communities, they were devout, they were faithful, they may even have been deeply good people, but they were wrestling. And in their wrestling with these questions, they didn't all come to the same answers about these questions. Many of the Jews who had decided to follow in the way of Jesus, they found themselves being expelled from the synagogues. They were painfully rejected by their larger religious community because of these differences. And so when the author of John writes this gospel, he infuses all kinds of hopeful, symbolic meaning that they would have recognized, that the readers would have recognized, that had been handed down through their Jewish tradition in order to give them hope. So when John tells us that Jesus said, I am thirsty. It's likely that what John was talking about was more than just physical thirst. Some believe that this phrase is specifically citing a prayer from the Psalms, and that the author may have recorded Jesus saying it as a form of encouragement, or as a way of communicating a prophetic fulfillment of an earlier promise that these folks had received of a Messiah that would come and save them. And the hyssop branch that the author mentions, the one in the text that's used to feed Jesus the sour wine, it probably, this hyssop branch probably actually couldn't have been used for that purpose. It wasn't long enough or sturdy enough. But the hyssop branch as a symbol shows up throughout the Jewish scriptures again and again as a sign of purification, which may have signaled to these readers in the gospel that in the same way the hyssop branch signaled God's deliverance, 
that Jesus was there as God's deliverance and to act as their salvation. All in all, the author includes these words of Jesus, I am thirsty, as a symbolic reminder to all those who are being ostracized by this community that they were not alone, that all hope wasn't lost, that the ways God had been revealing God's self throughout their history was still theirs to claim, and that God had not abandoned them. It was to encourage them in what was sometimes their painful search for meaning and belonging. And I imagine that this gospel would have been deeply important to the earliest readers for whom it was written. I also imagine, though, that this gospel and the particular ways that it makes meaning for a particular group of people was probably pretty controversial among those who disagreed at the time. And as I thought about this, it made me wonder. Do we as human beings who are gathered in this space or in the spaces that we inhabit in our daily lives, do we always agree with one another on what gives us a sense of meaning and belonging? How do we live with one another when we don't? What do we do when the things that quench our thirst for meaning or belonging, when the things that help us make sense of the world, whether it's the symbols we prefer, or the religious traditions that we practice, or the activities we are engaged in, or the words that we use, what if those things are not the same things that quench the thirst of our neighbors? Or what happens when we disagree on what exactly makes those things meaningful? How do we live with that difference? Can we? Further, what do we do when the things that have historically helped us find meaning and belonging have also been used to hurt others? Or to minimize the answers that other people sometimes find to the questions of meaning and belonging that we are all seeking after? This week I had the opportunity to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and we were looking at a bunch of um, various objects, religious objects that were on display. They were beautiful objects. They symbolized all kinds of beautiful things that over the course of history helped people find meaning and belonging, connected them to the sacred. Some of those religious symbols symbolized the protection of one's people the vibrancy of different forms of worship, the belief in God's presence and wisdom and faithfulness in the traditions that these objects inherit. At one point or another, these objects were all good tools that helped connect people to the sacred. It infused their lives with meaning. But in some cases, these same objects over the course of history also became other kinds of tools. Tools that on occasion did harm to one's neighbors, who took advantage of one's neighbors or exerted power and control over them. And so, for some, what felt like a symbol of hope felt for others like an object of destruction or pain. Now, we don't have to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and observe objects to see how this dynamic takes shape in our daily lives. For most of us who consider ourselves Christian in this room, we have to wrestle with a long and complicated Christian history. We're in for however many positive things about our own beliefs and scripture passages and practices have offered to us. They've also on occasion done real harm to other people, maybe are even doing real harm currently to other people. 
At times, our own religious traditions have sanctioned violence against others, maybe are continuing to sanction violence against others. Sometimes our religious traditions are used to minimize other religious traditions and beliefs of others as it tries to assume some sort of ultimate truth-telling position. And at times, some people are ostracized from our community for finding meaning in ways that feel uncomfortable to us. That doesn't sound all that dissimilar from the tendencies that we see in John's gospel to his earliest audience. And you know, religion isn't the only place where we experience the difficulty of dealing with difference and how people construct meaning and belonging. The political parties that we align ourselves to. The words people choose to use to describe themselves like the preferred pronouns of transgender people. The historical symbols that we lift up in our culture and give power to, all of these are symbolic ways of constructing meaning and belonging, and we don't all come to the same conclusions about them, or even are able to understand why those things are meaningful for other people. Meaning is something that we often construct and are very contingent upon our own social locations and our own human experiences and our own upbringing and our own immediate context and our own religious traditions. So how are we supposed to respond to others? How do we as Christ followers, who are called to love our neighbors and work for their flourishing, do so as we live in a world of so many differences? Can we as a community of faith, as individuals of faith, who have a particular set of beliefs and values that we find meaningful, can we live in loving relationship with people who find their meaning and belonging in places that sometimes feel foreign to us? As people who are invited to live and share our faith with others, are there ways that we can speak about what's meaningful to us to talk about our own faith, but in a way that doesn't automatically close off the space others might need to search for meaning and belonging for themselves? I tend to think so. At the very least, I hope so. But I think that there are at least a few practices that we can begin to inhabit as Christ followers that help us live in a world of difference while also practicing our own beliefs and the things that provide meaning and belonging in our own lives. There's three things that I came up with. The first is this. To practice repentance and humility. We have to recognize that our ways of making meaning are not the only ways people have made meaning throughout the course of history. And we so very rarely have the ultimate understanding of what truth is, even though it may make us feel better to think that we do. And we have to recognize that in some ways we are always doing harm to others and we don't even realize it. Our faith traditions, our ways of seeing the world even though they may stem from our very real circumstances and our very legitimate feelings and they may be important to us, they're sometimes harmful to other people who come from very different circumstances and experiences. And so our faith, our Christian heritage, speaks of the importance of repentance, which is really just a fancy way of saying that we need to constantly be becoming aware of the ways that our very good intentions sometimes unintentionally hurt others. And we have to express sincere regret for that with the intent to find better ways of trying to do better. 
The second thing that I would say is that we need to listen to our neighbors maybe a little more than we speak. That doesn't mean that we never speak about our faith or what's important or meaningful to us, but we need to focus more significantly, particularly in this culture and time and place that we're living in, on generously listening to the experiences of others to listen for what feels hopeful and meaningful for them, to pay attention to what thirsts they have and how that resonates with our thirsts and what commonalities connect us to one another, even in the sea of all of our differences. And the third thing that I think we need to do is we need to commit to work for the wholeness of not just the neighbors who are like us, but all our neighbors. Some of the most important passages in all of Scripture have to do with how we relate to each other. Not just our friends, but also the stranger and the enemy. In Micah 6.8, we are called to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Jesus reminds us that the greatest two commandments are to love God and to love each other as we love ourselves. To treat our neighbors the way we want to be treated. And 1 Thessalonians, those who were gathered in the community of faith there were reminded to encourage each other and build each other up. And in 1 Corinthians 10, the author tells us that no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Again and again, the overarching narrative of Scripture reminds us that we are not our own, that we do not live in our own individuality, we are connected to one another, and that it is only when we live into that reality, that connection that's full of all kinds of differences, it's only then that we really all get what we need to survive. Ultimately, at the end of the day, and at the end of our many differences, we all thirst for the same things, and the same source of life and meaning and belonging put us all here. I sometimes wonder if we would do better at making our way in the world as human beings if we remembered that more often and actually made space for one another's experiences and voices and opinions and ways of making meaning. I wonder if it would give us a more full picture of what it means to be human and to be a part of the beloved and diverse community of God. Let us pray together. Gracious God, as we come before you this morning from our various perspectives, our various beliefs, our various experiences and ways of interacting with the world, God, we recognize that you are a God that is big enough to meet us in our differences. God, I pray that you would open each of us up to exploring those differences, to making space for those differences, to figuring out what those di- how those differences add value and meaning and complexity and depth to the reality that is you and all that you have made in this world. God, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on us this day, give us wisdom, give us guidance. Give us grace as we seek to be people of faith in this world. We probably sing in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said together, amen. At this time, I would invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of response, which can be found in the faith. We sing hymnal on page 2133.